You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. Good morning, Calvary. My name is Dustin. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the elders here at Calvary, and it's my pleasure and joy to bring to you God's Word this morning. Um, a sermon on how to listen to a sermon, kind of an interesting topic, and uh, I was intrigued when Pastor Mark asked me to, to do it, and so here's what I've got. I hope it blesses and benefits you. In my friendship with Mark, Pastor Mark, I found him to be a man who is discerning beyond his years. He always blows me away with his ability to sort through information and build a plan to act. So it's not surprising that at the start of his ministry to Calvary as lead pastor, he would ask me to teach a sermon on how to listen to a sermon. And that's not surprising to me because as I thought about it, I think everybody will agree that the preaching of Pastor Mark is going to be different than the preaching of Pastor Ben. Um, Ben's great gifting and skill was to plant the seed of God's word and pull people in. He was super blessed in doing that and skillful. And Mark's great skill and gifting is to make that planted word, make the roots grow deep and strong. And it's good and it's normal to have different styles and different giftings in the church. That's what makes up a church. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, Paul pointed out, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he, he who waters is anything, just God who gives the growth. I praise God for the many people that have been added to the church and you know, given eternal life during Pastor Ben's time at Calvary. And we want to keep seeing that happen. We want everybody to keep pulling people in out of darkness, into Jesus' marvelous light. We want that to keep happening. But for our new people, and people who are new to Christianity, I recognize sometimes you might feel in over your head when Pastor Mark preaches. And that's okay. That is okay, because listening to a sermon is actually a skill to develop. You don't have to, if you find it going over your head, you don't have to stay there. It's a skill to develop and can be developed. Listening to a sermon isn't just a thing that happens to you. And so what I hope to do this morning is to give you some help in how to develop that skill and also encouragement to persevere in it. And I hope that I can, you know, I, there was more newbies in the first service. I hope I can give something to everybody here too, even though you've been possibly walking in the faith more, many more moons than I have. I own this great little book. Uh, it's, it's called Listen Up. It's like five bucks on the internet on Amazon. It's 30 pages long. It's about a practical guide to listening to sermons. It'll have some things beyond what I say today. It's 30 pages long, super easy to read, really accessible to everyone. Has seven parts first on how to listen to a sermon, then three parts on how to listen to a bad sermon, and then uh, finishes up with how to, how to encourage your pastors and preachers to get better sermons out of them. Uh, so it's a good little practical thing that I encourage you to look at if you want to go a little further on this topic. I'm actually going to read a paragraph, or two paragraphs, from the introduction. It starts with, why on earth do we need a book like this, you may say. After all, it would be pointless to write a booklet on how to watch TV. And listening to a sermon is even easier than watching TV, because I don't have to master the remote control. 
All I have to do is sit, try to stay awake till the end, and then, hey, presto, I've listened to a sermon. It's something that's done to me or even inflicted upon me, not something that I take part in. I don't need a booklet to help me learn how. It's no different than watching the news on TV. Ah, but it's not the same after all. After the parable of the sower, Jesus says, consider carefully how you listen. He goes on to say that if we listen one way, we'll be given more. But if we listen in a different way, even the little we think we have will be taken from us. The way we listen is a life or death business. It's possible to have ears that fail to hear and to be ever hearing but never understanding. Listening to sermons is a risky business. It could damage your health or it could take you closer to final rescue. What it won't do is leave you unchanged. So that's the introduction from Listen Up. If you look in your bulletin, there's three headings, three sections we'll be going over this morning in our time together. First section is why you should listen to a sermon. Second section, how you should listen to a sermon. And third, what to do once you've listened to a sermon. So let's pray and we'll get into it. I'll try not to breathe so heavy into this thing. All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you that we can join together as your people uh, gathered under your word, and we'll be looking at lots of different things today. God, please, uh, Holy Spirit, bring them back to memory later on. Help us to to internalize them. Um, Help us to get better, all of us, at the skill of listening to your word and acting upon it. I also want to take this time right now, God, to pray for Alfreda because um, I think she is close to the finish line. God, she has lived a faithful life before you. She has brought much encouragement to the saints and been a warrior in prayer, as she said, uh, using her walker to walk in circles around her coffee table while she prays for things in the church. Just pray, praise you for her love and service. And I just pray that you would bring her home soon, that her suffering would end soon, that she would get the reward of her sufferings, and that she would um, see Jesus face to face so soon, becoming exactly like him. And I pray you'd help their family too, as as everything that's going to happen, likely very soon, help them sort through it and draw them to yourself. We pray these things for Jesus' sake and our good. Amen. So first, why you should listen to a sermon. And I've got three points on that, why you should listen to sermons. The first point is because God does his work by his word. God does his work by his word. I'm just going to roll through four different passages, and there's tons of them, so we'll just look at four to kind of show you that in the Bible. And don't worry about uh, following, like flipping along. You might not be able to keep up because I have them tabbed, as you can see. Romans 10, 14 to 17 says this, How then can they call on him that they have not believed in? How could they believe without hearing about him? How could they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obey the gospel, because Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what's heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So faith comes from hearing, hearing the message about Christ. God does his work by his word. Um, James 1.18 
says, by his own choice, by God's own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So by his choice, he gave us birth, eternal birth, through the word of truth. God does his work by his word. 1 Peter 1.23, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So again, born imperishable seed, eternal seed into us, that living and abiding word of God. And then lastly, Hebrews, of course, the most famous passage about the Bible, probably, most read. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the word does work in us. It can chop us up and dissect us and tell us what's really going on. God's word can do that. And there's many more. There's tons more. That's just a sampling. So it's no surprise that Paul would charge Timothy, a younger pastor, with a charge that sounds like this in 2 Timothy 4, 1-2. He said, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance, and by his kingdom. He's like thinking of everything in the world that he can charge Timothy by. And this is the charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready. In season. Out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. And exhort with complete patience and teaching. And if you were to read, like if you did this sometime this week or later on this afternoon, straight through First and Second Timothy, which are they're written to a pastor, but there's, everything in it is for the church too, you would find the word, the word, the word, the word. Just always back to the word. God saves us by his word. He changes us by his word. He created all things by his word, and he upholds all things by his word. And he will one day bring in the eternal era by his word. The reason Calvary has grown, I think, is because we have upheld his word. Because God draws people, God draws his sheep to churches like that, because it's the right and safe place for them to be. If we were to stop upholding his word and bend on certain things, we'd go back to dying. So why should you listen to sermons? Because God does his work by his word. That's point number one. Number two, why we should listen to sermons. God works in us together. God works in us together. Most of the Bible is written to like a people, not just individuals. It mostly addresses us collectively, not individually. The pictures used to describe the church in the Bible are images of a whole thing made up of many individual things, such as, right, you think of, we're described as the household of God, a household, um, the family of God, we're a body, a temple, the bride, the ci a city, we're described as a city. There's definitely an individual aspect to faith, definitely. Like, you don't walk through the narrow gate altogether. We won't fit. It's one at a time. It's a one at a time gate. We, can't, we have to do that alone. We have to repent and believe alone. Of course, none of us was ever brought to that point alone, right? But we got to pass through it alone, alone with God. But most of our Christian experience is to be lived out communally, together. And this is true in listening to sermons, too. 
We got to do it together so that we grow together. That's the primary context, not the only, the primary context God wishes to bless in people hearing his word. The word church means the assembly. That's what it literally means. Church, we are an assembly. The assembly of the people of God in the Sinai Desert, right after they came out of Egypt and they're wandering in the desert, it's called the church in the wilderness in Acts 7.38. I'm going to read one more part from Listen Up, talking about that church, the distinctions of it. It says, the church was defined by the call of the word of God to gather under the word of God. It began when God said to Moses, assemble the people before me to hear my words. This set up the standard shape and pattern for the people of God who are gathered by the word of God because God takes the initiative to summon them and to summon us to gather together, to assemble, and to sit under the word of God because he said to hear my words. Gather together to hear my words, to be shaped together by his word. God's purpose is not to shape a collection of individuals just to be like Christ, but to form a Christ-like people, to do it in us together. I love listening to podcasts and uh, d- different recorded sermons because I do a lot of driving and chimney sweeping. There's always like about three hours of driving every day almost, it seems like. I love to listen to the sermons while I drive, but they'll never be as good for me as listening with the people of God to a pastor who knows us and we know him when we know each other. Because a podcast sermon, a recorded sermon, is just an echo of a sermon. I can't be a part of what the Spirit was doing the day that he was working and the day that it was preached among the people it was preached to. It's just an echo. I can't grow collectively with those people. When we listen together, we're accountable to each other too. We might feel more pressure to stay tuned in than when we're alone too because it's embarrassing to be caught drifting off or looking out the window and that sort of thing. When we listen together, you know the message I heard and I know the message you heard and we expect each other to obey it. When we listen alone on our phones or maybe at home to preachers on TV, nobody knows what we heard other than us. And so in a sense, we're operating autonomously, accountable to no one. I'm not saying never do that. I'm just saying if that, was, if that was it, if that was your main diet, that's not safe. When we listen together, we respond together. Rather than all of us going off hearing our own things privately, right? If we're all like out listening and watching things on TV, listening to podcasts privately, then we're being pulled in a hundred different directions depending on what that preacher we're listening to is saying. But when we listen together, then we are mostly pulled in the same practical outworking direction. Listening together promotes unity and camaraderie and family affection among the local church. So you should listen to sermons at your local church because God works in us together. And the third point, God works gradually. God works gradually. A way I like to describe it is that God is about growing trees, not weeds. Weeds can spring up overnight, right? But they can die just as quickly too. But trees take a long, gradual time to grow. And God wants us to grow strong and deep, just like the trees he describes in Psalm 1, the tree that is by flowing water. This is done by a continual intake of the word of God and meditation upon it. 
We do it personally by our, our like daily Bible reading. Maybe you're doing the Bible reading plan or in personal study, and we do it collectively by sermons, week after week after week. Or another comparison from the physical realm, our bodies grow when they're at the growing stage of our life. Our bodies grow by constant intake of food, right? A really good meal doesn't make you grow faster. Like if you went to a, get a five-course meal at a downtown restaurant in Toronto, it's not going to make you grow four inches that night just because it was really good. Eating consistently over time makes you grow four inches. And it's the same with sermons. Not every sermon is going to blow your mind. It's not, not every sermon is going to be life-changing, life-altering. But every sermon will grow you because every sermon is eating, eating God's words. And God has determined that we should assemble together every week on the Lord's Day to have a family meal in his word together. He wants us to grow gradually over time as we listen to sermons together. We're going to move into the second heading, how to listen to a sermon. I got about five-ish uh, practical points on how we should be thinking and what we should be doing. The first thing I want to say right off the hop is context, context, context. Context is king in the Bible. God's word preached in its proper context is what feeds and grows the church. The job of a preacher is to determine the original context and meaning of the passage and then deliver that to the people. That's our work up here. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best, Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker that has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Each elder who stands up here to address the church is commanded to be careful and really thorough in their handling of God's word and our delivery of it. Our charge is to teach God's word in its proper context. A great way to do that is by expository preaching. This sermon that I'm speaking on right now is a little weird as I'm talking about expository preaching because this one's a little strange. It's topical. I'm jumping all over the place. And you're kind of having to take my word for it on the verses I'm quoting and the points I'm pulling out of them. Because I don't have time for me to dive in to every single verse and show you the proper context of it. The normal diet for the church should be expository, where we go verse by verse by verse through a book, exposing the original meaning and the, to the original audience. And then we could properly apply it to our modern day and context. That's how it works. And that's our context job as preachers. Your context job as listeners is to determine, is the point of the passage we're looking at the point of the sermon? Is the point of the passage the point of the sermon? Are, are, is the preacher using God's word to say what, what they want to say? Is it just a jumping, a diving board off into whatever they want to say? Or are we using it to say what God wants to say to the church? Because I've been, I've, I've grown up in Christianity. I've been to a number of Bible studies where people will sit around and talk about what the passage means to them. But it doesn't matter what the passage means to us if it isn't what the passage means. It doesn't matter. It means what it meant when it was written. It means what it meant to the original audience. God's word being living and active doesn't mean it's fluid and dynamic, meaning one thing to one generation, another thing to the next generation. It means it, means it is still it being living and active. It means that 
it is still just as able to work in us now as it was 2,000 plus years ago when it was written. The truth it is expressing then is the truth it expresses now. We just might have to work a little harder to know what it meant then. And often, though, if we let the Bible interpret itself, by what I mean by that is you're looking at, the more you know the Bible, the more it'll make sense. The more you read it, it just takes time. Because this part will explain the part you're reading. And you could pull Old Testament stuff that prepares you for what's going on here. It takes a bit of time, but that's how it works over the long haul. And then we can know the context. Somebody in the first service pointed out a really good um, picture in the Bible of the importance of context to me. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, right? Satan was trying to get him to worship him, basically, to get him to go off his course. And what did, what did Satan do? He quoted the Bible to Jesus. He quoted the Bible to the Son of God. And he said, so do this. It's in the Bible. But what he did wasn't exegesis. He did eisegesis, where you isolate a verse and you take it out of its proper context. And then he said, yeah, Jesus, do this. It's in the Bible. And then Jesus came back to him with exegesis, saying, no, this is the context of what that means. And this is what it actually means. That's how you use the, so the word as a sword. When the word is in its proper context, um, then, then it's our weapon and that's how we live. Now, that was, yeah, that might be a bit confusing. I think the best way to do that on the fly each Sunday morning how you guys can be thinking about, is this the right context, is to have an actual physical Bible open before you as the sermon's going on. And that's why we usually start the sermons, right, with open your Bibles to, page da-da-da. We, we usually say that when we're looking at a certain passage. Phones and, like, tablets and stuff, they aren't good for seeing context because you can only see however much the screen allows you. But with my actual Bible open, I can see everything that came before the passage. Here's the passage. Everything flowing out of it. I can see where it's nestled. What was the preparation for what we're looking at? And what's flowing out of it? And I can better see what's going on to have my actual Bible. And just as an aside, we all might as well just leave our phones in our cars during church too because it's one less distraction. Because I know sometimes when I've used my phone, to follow along on the verses, and then it'll be, bing, oh, an email, oh, bing, a message, whatever. It's distracting. So use a real Bible, leave your phone in the car. That's just a recommendation. That's not uh, in the verses anywhere. So that's number one, context is king for listening. Two, come to church expecting God to speak. That's a great one. And I've seen it true, uh, be true in like a hundred times. On your drive, or maybe around the breakfast table, prepare yourself and your family to hear God speak. I'll often tell my kids, no matter what age they are, if they come to church expecting to hear from God and asking him that he would speak to them something, and then in the sermon looking for where that thing is, they'll get it, guaranteed. They'll get something. Maybe we won't understand all of a sermon, and we likely won't retain all of it. But if we come asking, God is pleased to deliver. So come expectant. Come like a beggar needing something from God. We shouldn't listen to sermons casually or haphazardly. As we just read in Nehemiah uh, 8.5 in the Bible reading plan, when Ezra preached the word of God, the people stood up. When it, was, when it started being read, they stood up as a mark of their respect and attentiveness. Or in Ezra, 
how they listened in the rain. It was pouring rain and they listened. They were serious. They were purposeful. The posture of our hearts should be the same. We want to come to church ready, attentive, expectant, not light and flippant and distracted. I know there's lots of distractions. God knows who we are. God knows the sort of people we are, that we're fickle, sometimes we're pitiful. There's grace. God has grace for us. He knows our frame. I'm just saying come as ready, attentive, and expectant as you're able to. Come on purpose. Uh, Point three, take notes. Lots of people take notes. Notes can help you track with the sermon and stay tuned in. Uh, They're great to refer back to in a month when you're like, oh, what were they saying on that one? Oh, I wrote a note. Perfect. Now I can get it into me better. Uh, Writing something down can help you remember it. For those people that are visual, visual learners, it'll be stuck in your memory. Um, Write down impactful sentences, questions that are arising from what you heard in the sermon, uh, passages to go explore that were quoted but maybe not read that morning. Write down something that you want to tell the preacher afterwards, either as an encouragement or as a constructive criticism, because we want to get better. Write down words that you heard that you don't know what they even mean, and you go look at their definition, and you'll know better next time. Writing's a great method of focused thinking when listening to a sermon. Uh, Four, come discerning to the sermon, humble to the text. Come discerning to the sermon, and humble to the text. Try to come to church with that heart, attitude, and posture. I'm going to be discerning in regards to this preacher. I'm going to sort through what he's saying and see, is it actually in the word? And if I find that he actually is speaking the very words of God, then I'm going to be humble to get under that and obey it. Because a preacher's authority is just a borrowed authority. We don't have any authority just because we're up here or we have the title of like elder or pastor. We have authority in as much as we faithfully open God's word. That's how far it goes. God has the authority. He just lets us be voice boxes of that authority. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, and the context there is speaking in the church, Bible teaching. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. That's the job of the speaker. And you need to be discerning of whether we're doing that or not. Isaiah 66.2, which was read this morning, is the job of every listener. God says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. So we need to be discerning while being humble. Both of those things at the same time. We need to hold on to them. They're in tension, but they can be held together discerning, but I will submit if it is what God is saying. Five, there's always these five questions that um, when I teach my kids to study the Bible, we just go Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3, one a week, five questions. I'll say them twice in case you want to write them down. Because if you just got these five questions from every sermon, or even maybe one of these things from each sermon, you'll definitely get something. So they are, who is God? What has he done? Who am I? What does God require of me? Where is Jesus in this passage? Who is God? What's he done? Who am I? What does God require of me? And where is Jesus in this passage? They're probably kind of self-explanatory, but we'll just go over them quickly. So who is God? 
Who is God? That's the most important, preeminent, profound question in life. Who is God? What does this sermon tell me about God? Jeremiah 9.24, God says, But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. So Christians aren't supposed to be boastful people, right? Except for one thing, that we understand and know God. That he's the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So we know how to live and be godly, and it comes through the knowledge of him, through the knowing of God. John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So God's our boast. Uh, In knowing him, we know how to live and be godly. And knowing him is the sum and substance of eternal life. That's what it's about. So the most important question is, who is God? Second one is, what has he done? Psalm 9.1 says, I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. This question, coupled with that first one, Fuel our worship of God in spirit and in truth. Because God wants to be worshipped for who he actually is and what he's actually done. So we need to leave our preconceived notions about him at the door sometimes and be ready for what he says about himself in his word. A.W. Tozer has said, Right thinking about God will cure 10,000 of our maladies. If we can think about God right, it'll fix so much in our life. God is the source and center of everything. And so if we get the source and center right, then everything flowing out of that will fall into place a lot easier anyway. So who is God? What has he done? Then who am I? Who am I? What does this sermon tell me about me? Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He created a spirit for us and put it into our body. He knows how we work and how we think better than we do. He can make sense of our jumbled minds when we don't know what's going on. The darkness is as light to him. So what in the sermon could give me a more humble estimation of myself? It can knock down my pride. Uh, What in the sermon can help me hope in God and be thankful for my identity of union with Christ? What in the sermon will tell me about my sin, and what in the sermon will tell me about my righteousness. As the song says, I am who you say I am. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. All of it. Right thinking about God brings right thinking about ourselves. We've got to start with the center and origin, get God as right as we can, then we can understand ourselves right in, that, in light of that. Right thinking about God brings right thinking about ourselves. And that's the reason our current generation is so like upside down. Because they've rejected the knowledge of God wholesale. Therefore, they can't think rightly about themselves. They don't know who the world they are without God in the picture. Because there wasn't meant to be a picture without God. There's no bottom or foundation to that worldview and thinking. And so there's no peace. There's just turmoil and flux and upheaval. What does he require of me? What's my action points from the sermon that I'm hearing? How does God want me to live? Right doing flows out of right being. Who is God? What's he done? 
who am I, those all address right being. And once we get them informed, then we're in a good place to talk about what we should do, how we should respond and act. And we'll talk more about that in the last point, the last section. The last question we can ask ourselves is, where is Jesus in this passage? Luke 24, 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the Bible is really all about Jesus. I've heard it expressed this way before, that the Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed. He's hidden, but he's there. And it's preparing us for him. And the New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. Old Testament, Jesus Christ concealed. New Testament, Jesus Christ revealed. The whole thing is about him. Either it's preparing us for him, or it's pointing us to him, to the glory of the Father. A faithful sermon will always help me to abide in Jesus. And careful listening and looking for him as I, as I hear will not come up empty. So what to do once you've listened to a sermon? What do you do once you've listened to a sermon? Simply obey it. Just do it. That's the, the simplest answer. You just do it. Matthew 7.24. Jesus talks about that. 724 to 27, I think. Okay, it says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock by listening and acting. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Jesus shows us in this passage that the unshakable life consists of hearing and doing. We got to be careful how we listen, right? We, we got to be attentive. We got to be alert and thorough and discerning when we listen to a sermon. But if we don't follow that up with obeying, we're actually doing more harm to ourselves than good in our hearing. If you were to come week after week after week, listening to sermon after sermon after sermon, and never implement, implementing them, never doing them, the word of God would become to you a curse instead of a blessing. Jesus makes it clear that the life that won't be destroyed is the one that hears and does this is actually the reason, personally, so you could take or leave this advice or whatever, I've stopped listening to so many podcast sermons. I used to listen to like hours and hours and hours because I love to learn. I love to hear about God. I want to know and find out stuff, and I could talk God with you all night long. But I came to realize that I thought I was hearing so much stuff that I didn't really have a plan or intention of implementing. It was just going in and not really changing me. I was in danger, I thought, of hearing without doing. So I've really cut back on sermons outside of church while I drive. Not, not like I don't listen to any, but I've cut back anyway because I want to be obedient to what I hear. I've actually heard, I can't remember if I already said this or if it was at the first service, but a, a Christian in, in China saying that if you, a North American Christians, did 10% of what you know, you'd blow the world away. And so that's basically the point there. I just want to, I want to obey what I know. I want to get better at that. 
while knowing God more at the same time. But this is also the reason why the elders have opted to switch. We switched our um, a year ago, right, our weekday small groups to prayer groups. We came to realize that people are being pulled in so many different directions with teaching in the church, and everybody's studying something different in every different Bible study. Because you had the Sunday sermon, the small group Bible studies, men's group, women's group, seniors group, youth group, and everybody's teaching something different, different directions. So we switched it to prayer groups. The primary purpose being because we want our church to pray more. Because a praying church is a powerful church. And you only get better by at praying by doing it. So that's the main reason we switched it. But then also at the beginning of the prayer group times, right, we have questions about last Sunday's sermon and questions to go a little deeper, but with a particular emphasis on application, obeying what we heard last Sunday. How can we actually live out what we heard last Sunday? That, and so the goal being to walk in a similar direction as a church, like all together as much as we can, unified and guided by the preaching of the word on Sunday morning. I've seen a couple different tangible ways people in the church are trying to obey what they hear. At <coughs> Bill and Melissa's, they have this chalkboard right at their front door. And every week it has on it like a one-sentence uh, application takeaway from the sermon they heard. So everybody, as they go out the door that, su- that morning, they're like, okay, this is what we're working on. And I go out into the world and I'm working on it. Uh, Mark and Maddie, they also have a message board with those movable letters And every time I've been there, I either see uh, a verse they're wanting to implement or an area that they're wanting to improve upon as a family. And I don't think they change it until they've seen actual forward momentum, actual change. Then they'll change to something new on the board. Something we try to do in our family is talk the sermon over during lunch. I just use the bulletin as my outline, just go, go through it. We'll recap what was talked about. I'll ask some questions. The kids will share me with me their notes. They'll ask some questions. And then we'll talk about how we should obey it, both individually and then as a family, how do we obey the sermon. Uh, if you've been around Kat and I any length of time, you've probably heard the phrase come out of us that obedience is right away, all the way, with a good attitude. That's how we train our kids to obey because that's how God wants to be obeyed. We're just practice grounds for them following God one day. And talking about the sermon at lunch or soon afterwards is a great way to help us obey right away, all the way, with a good attitude. We're actually going to put some rubber to the road and get moving on obeying. As the old hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So I hope I've been able this morning to give you some help and some encouragement in the skill of how to listen to a sermon. I hope you've seen the importance and the mind of God in why you should listen to a sermon. And I hope you've seen the necessity of obeying once you've listened to the sermon. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.